Yes, well, the definition of the word humanity was always rather a complex question, wasn't it? Uh, you know perfectly well what I mean. Are you or aren't you? If you mean, am I a native of the planet Terra, the answer is no, I'm not. Or what are you, then? Me? I'm a Time Lord. A Time Lord? Yeah, that's right. And my people are very keen to stamp out unlicensed time travel. You can look upon them as galactic ticket inspectors, if you like. Galactic ticket inspectors? Mm-hmm. Oh, I could murder a cup of tea. You're serious, aren't you? About what I do, yes. Not necessarily the way I do it. <laughs> And thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Caleb. And I'm Mac. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts. I said Doctor Who a lot there. Yeah, it's fine. But today we're talking about um, the time warrior, not the time hey, monster. <laughs> you got it. It's like, I hope that this, this episode title doesn't like bring back nom flashbacks for you it's like the time oh god, god. no <laughs> basically i almost said it i almost brought the time monster again but we don't talk about that <laughs> we don't talk about the time monster um the time the time warrior i almost said monster there was written by robert holmes directed by alan bromley produced by barry letts and aired december 15th 1973 to january 4th 1974 i put i wrote 1973 that's not how dates work do you recognize robert holmes recognize yes mac you're you're gonna have to tell me the writer what they wrote every time i I don't know i want to be proud of you someday caleb i thought you might be able to tell me something you wrote someday it will probably not be related to doctor who (laughs) Ugh. okay that's not inspiring a lot of confidence He's written two stories that are pretty high up in my ranking list. He's also written my least favorite story ever and definitely my least favorite third doctor. So he's written The Crotons, The Space Pirates. Oh, it's this guy. Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Autons, and Carnival of Monsters. Ugh. Starting this new season off strong. Yeah, totally. Everyone talks about Robert Holmes. He's like, oh man, Robert Holmes. He's like one of the most prolific writers of the classic Doctor Who. He's great. Just because he's written a lot of stories doesn't mean they're good. Okay? (laughs) Doctor Who fandom. We gotta fucking talk about your taste and everything. (laughs) He's written five stories so far. Of those five, I would say only two of them have, without question, hit. Then the other two of the others are fucking Space Pirates and Carnival of Monsters. Two of the episodes that have made me the angriest on this podcast. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Fuck. Anyway, keeping all that in mind, uh, Caleb, given everything you know about Doctor Who and given the title of this episode, The Time Warrior, what do you think this episode is going to be about? My instincts tell me that the Doctor is going to be hunted by some sort of time bounty hunter. But that's not the Time Warrior. The Time Warrior is the fucking 
maniacal, cruel, calculating, murderous woman who saves him. And that's the new companion. Okay, not bad. It's not bad. And, no, it, it's just it's just funny. Because, like, <laughs> there's... It's just another aspect of, like, you were really good at making predictions of stuff that's going to happen way later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I know the answer to this, but my, uh, my hint for last time was this is when we meet the most iconic companion in Doctor Who. Probably don't. You have any sort of idea whatsoever of who she might be. I mean, it's a she. Shocker. But. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not even, not even remotely. Nah, I figured, I figured not. But keep in mind, before this podcast, I knew two things about this show. There was a blue box, and a guy with a scarf, and that was largely it. <laughs> you also knew about the angels because I wouldn't shut up about it. Next oh time. yeah, the fucking angels thing, and then I knew Daleks were like the trash can looking things. Yes. So you knew, you knew four things. I four things in this fucking fifty season long show. <laughs> Caleb, that's ridiculous. The 60th anniversary is later this oh year. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm excited uh, for this because uh, it introduces introduces the character. So, uh, on that note, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. <laughs> And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it's been... Fuck. <laughs> a month for us. <laughs> oh, that's less than I thought it was. Well, we were having some difficulties with scheduling, and then I went on a week-long vacation to do a two-month-late wedding anniversary vacation. I had like an impromptu move. <laughs> yeah, you you moved, so you know it's, 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 time's funny like that. It's fine. Yeah, because I watched it pretty early on in that month. Uh, I did a binge rewatch yesterday, so it was a little bit fresher in my mind. I also rewatched it. Yeah, it did nothing for its ranking. It it I I would describe it as mid to yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's not going to appear in either of our top or bottom fives, I no, think. No, no, I'd say it's definitely in the top half, but I wouldn't say it's in the top five. For a guy who's written two episodes that are, one is was in my bottom five last Doctor, and one that is definitely going to be my bottom five this Doctor, not bad. Not bad. Yeah. There is a couple of notes that I will give. You're going to hate one of these. Oh, no. This is the introduction of Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith. This is the one you're going to hate. This is the introduction of the Santarans. The introduction. I yep. knew it. I knew these fuckers were coming. <laughs> these gross turd monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is also the first on-screen name drop of the Doctor's home planet, which is Gallifrey. So I can finally refer to it as Gallifrey and just say, instead of just saying the Doctor's home planet every time it comes up in conversation. <laughs> and also, you'll appreciate this. This is our 69th story we've covered. Nice. 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 <laughs> also, new opening sequence. Yeah. 
uh, almost banger opening sequence. <laughs> if a- it just weren't for like the face thing well it it does the face thing and then it zooms out and does a full body thing, (laughs) which is a little odd i'm trying to think if there's any other doctor that does a full body thing and i'm pretty sure it's just this opening for just this doctor i'm pretty sure (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh before we before we dive in i guess we've kind of touched on it a little bit but did you have anything else you wanted to say like general thoughts on the time warrior it's not the worst story it's nowhere near the best i think my big issue with it is i just hate the historical settings the moment i saw it was middle ages and like i was like oh fuck the whole story is gonna be middle ages this is gonna suck and it didn't suck but i do think it was held back by the setting <laughs> yeah there's definitely some stuff that made it rough in terms of historical setting i don't know i kind of liked the um Here's a regular historical thing, and then a sci-fi thing just, like, comes in and is just, like, flagrantly, Hi, I'm a sci-fi thing. There's just, like, this juxtaposition of the two main villains. Yeah, I think that's, uh, fine. I just, I I don't know. I don't feel like, I maybe I'm just so, I've got PTSD from the actual historicals, where, like, every time I see a historical saying, like, no, no, not again, no. <laughs> it's not sci-fi enough, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and dive in, shall we? Let's dive right in. Here we go. Oh, I said episode one, but it's part one. It's part we do parts one now. now. Yes, part one. The episode begins in some sort of castle with a group of bandits led by a man named Irongron. The group witnesses a falling star crash to the earth, and they race out to claim it for themselves. The star is in fact a spaceship, and an armored creature named Lynx emerges and offers weapons in exchange for Irongron's help getting his ship back in working order. Cut to the present, where the Doctor learns that scientists all across the country are going missing. Unit, thanks to its top-notch security, is infiltrated by a young journalist named Sarah Jane Smith. When the Unit scientist Rubish disappears, the Doctor takes the TARDIS back to the Middle Ages with Sarah hidden on board. Sarah leaves the TARDIS just after the Doctor is captured by Iron Gron's men. The Doctor watches Lynx remove his helmet, revealing the disgusting poop monster beneath. Yeah, they're really ugly. They're slightly less ugly in New Who... But, like, every time they come up in Classic, they are just the worst. (laughs) There's, like, weird hairs growing out of, like, the sides of their heads and ears. And you're right, it absolutely does look like just a bunch of poop just jammed into some space armor. Yeah, (laughs) it is disgusting. I don't, I don't, because I rewatched it. I told Mike the first time I watched it, I really did not like this episode. And I think it was almost purely a xenophobic response <laughs> when Lynx takes his helmet off. I'm like, oh, what the fuck is that? Oh, I don't like that at all. You know, Caleb, have you played through all of Mass Effect? No. Okay. I would almost anti-recommend it for you because you're going to be so mad that you can't side with Cerberus by the end of the series. <laughs> you know, the the pro-human kill all these aliens aside yeah that side now listen some of those aliens are hot and fuckable (laughs) as long as the aliens are fuckable that's fine (laughs) (laughs) yo girl what those mandibles do anyway i don't hate i don't hate all aliens but shepherd's not wrong when he wants to genocide the geth (laughs) (laughs) my first note is uh john snow has fallen on hard times because um, <laughs> it's like the first shot is just like this man in like medieval armor and furs with long black hair and just like 
lamenting the fact that um, their food is uh, is spoiled and their wine is sour and their castle is drafty. And I'm like, this this looks like Jon Snow if he had just gone in a completely different direction. <laughs> <laughs> this is midlife crisis, Jon Snow. <laughs> so let's let's establish something right away. Iron Gron is fine at first, in my opinion. He kind of starts to annoy me somewhere around episode three. And by episode four, his uh, anti-climax of a death is more than he deserved, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, he has a right-hand man named Bloodaxe, who I wish someone would look at me the same way Bloodaxe looks at Iron Gron. <laughs> he is he is so fucking gay for iron gron and if this were written in any other time period they might lean more into that but i choose to believe the actor was absolutely just like i would do anything for you captain iron gron anything <laughs> anything no I, I can totally see that because like i think it's episode two iron gron is saying something and blood axe is like oh we're so lucky to have such a smart and wise leader i was like oh my god <laughs> Just suck his dick already. Now we know how he became the right-hand man. Because he replaced Iron Gron's right hand. Obviously. And then they go outside. Uh, well, the, nec- the next morning, they go outside to check on the fallen star. Then the Santaran steps out and, like, places a flag down on the soil and claims Earth for the might of the Santaran Empire. And it is the most piddly little flag like, <laughs> it's just like, he just sticks a stick in the ground, and then all of a sudden, just like this tiny little, bing, like, of a flag just kind of, like, shoots out of it. And it's like, there's no heraldry on the flag. There's no there's no symbol or anything. It's just, like, a plain flag, and it's just, I think it's blue. And it's just, like, such a tiny little thing. And, like, you'd think that such a military man would have, like, this grand banner that he would stick into the ground instead of just the type of flag that um that construction workers put down in the ground to notate where water lines and electrical lines are (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you slam it down you expect a space tim nugent to play in the background (laughs) like f-15 raptors fly by Why do I suddenly feel patriotic about the Empire that just took over our planet? (laughs) (laughs) Then, you know, Iron Gron is about to attack Lynx, and Lynx just shoots his sword out of his hand. And uh, they make the deal of, I'll make you weapons if you help me repair my ship. I need this type of circuitry, this type of uh, element. I need this and this. Iron Gron is like, we have none of those things of which you speak. And Lynx is like, then I shall have to take them from those who have. And at first I was really confused. I did not know where this was going. I was like, from who, though? <laughs> You're in medieval times. And then I watched a couple more minutes and I was like, oh, okay, I'm with you now. <laughs> Which brings up something I thought watching it. I was under the impression that the Time Lords were the people who did time travel. But I feel like there's a lot of other creatures that have done time travel stuff. <laughs> it's funny to say that I saw a post on Reddit the other day and it's it like, ah yes, the Time Lords, the master of time, the only ones capable of traveling through space and time. Except for the Daleks. And the Santarans. And the blank. And the blank. And the blank. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're not the only one who's noticed that. 
The only one who hasn't noticed is the writers. <laughs> Speaking of which, we cut over to the 1970s. The brigadier and the doctor are talking about how tight the security is and so tight that even the brigadier couldn't get it, could barely get in. Also, this civilian is here. Nobody bothered to check her credentials, I guess. Nobody asked for <laughs> an ID to look at or anything. She's like, no, I'm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm this 40 year old woman who uh, is a renowned scientist. I'm like, oh, hell, come on in. <laughs> yes, top notch stuff. It's honestly all I expect from Unit at this point. <laughs> well, she, she looked like she was telling the truth. She was wearing a really sharp brown suit. I, I can't distrust someone in a really sharp brown suit. But the thing is, like, she comes in and she's claiming to be her aunt. I don't remember what her aunt's name is, who is like a very renowned scientist. But the doctor introduces himself to her and he's like, I'm very familiar with your work, Miss Smith. It's very impressive. And she's like, oh, thank you. He's like, yes, even doubly so when I realized that you must have been five when you wrote that paper. And uh, she buckled too fast. Because immediately she was like, okay, okay, I'm actually a reporter. I'm not actually supposed to be here, but I wanted to investigate the missing scientists. She buckled too fast. I wanted her to have been like, yes, I did write that paper when I was five. I'm just that good. <laughs> I'm a, I was a very gifted child. When I wasn't dabbling in my hobby of biology, I was a uh, prodigy of the piano. <laughs> are, you familiar, are you familiar with the little Einsteins? morons <laughs> i watched it when i was a kid and i was like philistines i can do better than that <laughs> and then we uh apparently just throw all of the doctor's character development he got w with joe out the window uh because he says that he won't rat out sarah jane because she can still prove to be useful because we still need someone to make uh, make the coffee damn it doctor <laughs> all right asshole <laughs> fuck you too <laughs> I don't know if I missed that line or just forgot it the first time I watched it, but because Sarah is kind of a indignant to the doctor, we'll put it that way, pretty much the whole story, and I didn't like her. But after that intro, <laughs> I kind of get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think she's going to be good. I, I'm worried, just based on some stuff that we've seen in this story, I'm worried that Sarah is going to be written as what middle-aged men from the 1970s think a feminist is like. So relentlessly cringe. Relentlessly cringe, very man-hatey, very... I don't know, I don't know. I mean, it was a different time, but still, I'm I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping an eye on the writing team for Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see, I suppose. Apparently everyone loves her, so... And then... We cut back to the Middle Ages, and Irongron has captured the squire, the messenger, for a nearby lord, because he was he was captured while trying to deliver a message. The squire is like brought to his knees before Irongron, and then Irongron lifts up the squire's chin with his axe. I'm like that. The sexual tension just skyrocketed in this room. Through the you, room. You cannot, you cannot lift someone's chin with a weapon and not expect me to assume they're going to bone. Because, like, <laughs> that is the most sexual maneuver one can possibly make. No one can convince me otherwise. <laughs> Iron Ground also kind of showcases in this scene how um, he's a little bit on the repetitive side. 
because I counted at least three times in this episode alone that a scene ended with Iron Gron banging something on the table. Whether it was a mug or his weapon or something. And one of the hilarious things is that he clearly tried to put the axe in the table when he ended it, but it just kind of like fell over. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many questions about this next bit. So one of the scientists, Professor Rubish, which is... It was kind of funny because uh, when Rubish is first introduced, like the the doctor's like working on something mechanical and then Rubish walks in. He just says, Rubish. And doctor like looks up and says, pardon? It's like, Professor Rubish, it's nice to meet you. And doctor's like, oh, okay. Like the joke was that it seemed like he was calling his machine rubbish. I think. I think that was the joke. Uh, I don't I'm know. Assuming, I'm assuming that was the joke. I, I think. It was hard to tell. Anyway, Rubish uh, vanishes. And while they're trying to figure out what's going on, Sarah goes into the TARDIS thinking that maybe the professor went in there. And then the doctor has locked onto the signal of where Rubish has been taken. And he goes into the TARDIS and he dematerializes. And then he materializes near Iron Gron's castle. And he leaves. And then Sarah, Sarah leaves. A couple of questions here. Did she just kind of... Okay. Was that her reaction when she first walked into the TARDIS and it was bigger on the inside? Did she also just, like, have the foresight to hide away when the doctor came in as a stowaway? And then she comes out, she's in a completely different tart. she's in a completely different time and place. Her only, uh, what's going on kind of reaction is, huh, it's still a police box. Like, that's, that's what you're focusing on? The fact that the fact that it's still a blue box and not the fact that you're now somewhere in the middle of the countryside. What's, what's up, Sarah? Do you know something we don't? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. I guess she doesn't really react to anything. I'm going to headcanon it and say, if she knows about the missing doctors, she has heard rumors about the strange doctor that works for unit and his blue box that supposedly goes in space and time. Maybe this is a case of me remembering it completely incorrectly. I could have sworn that Sarah first encountered the doctor because she was investigating this mysterious new this mysterious new advisor to unit. I could have sworn that's how she got introduced. His reputation preceded him and she wanted to find out more about him. I could have sworn that's how she was introduced, but apparently not. But there's had to have been some sort of reporting on the doctor. He's only averted like four or five fucking crises in England alone. Well, I guess that all depends on how public unit is with how often the world is almost destroyed and or conquered by aliens i mean listen like when like fucking mannequins are like gunning people down in the streets that's gotta make the news right (laughs) i mean it's gonna make the news but i can definitely see it being just a case of oh no it was just uh some students doing a prank that got out of control you know how it is you know (laughs) those students and their rock and roll music i don't know but I do know that uh, she materializes in medieval times and gets immediately kidnapped. So, you know. Classic. She's settling in nicely. She understands the part. Yep. All she needs to do is be part of a uh, of a genocide now, and she should be fine. Yeah. And then she'll officially be a companion. And <laughs> the doctor, the doctor sees Sarah getting kidnapped, and he's just like, 
He's just like that that Grand Theft Auto meme of like, ah, shit, here we go again. Because <laughs> he just kind of like saunters into the castle after he sees her getting kidnapped. He's like, all right. <laughs> Fine, I'll save you. I guess I've accidentally adopted another one. Let's go. And then he like hides behind a cart and he sees he sees Commander Lynx. And I don't know why lynx did this but he's like looking around and sees that no one's there and he just like takes off his helmet for literally no reason and my last note of this episode is please stop doing that tongue thing oh yeah the oh what is there's no way for me to really describe it but it almost feels it's like it's like he's tasting the air like clearly he has like a lot of uh prosthetics and a mask on but like his mouth is still like very available and he's just like repeatedly bringing his tongue to his to his lips he's like meow 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 i don't i don't know why he's doing that and i want him to stop <laughs> i don't like it i don't like it we should we should genocide his entire people <laughs> well his people might welcome the challenge let's be really honest <laughs> <laughs> all right episode two part two we need to remember part two part fuck. two <laughs> part two Sarah is brought before Irongron, and she is convinced they're LARPers or something. They quickly forget about her, though, when Link shows them a suit of armor that moves with no one inside. To test it, Irongron's men use it to challenge one of Lord Edward's warriors, some guy named Hal. The Doctor uses a crossbow to shoot the controls out of the bandit's hands, and Hal uses the chance to grab Sarah and escape. At Wessex Castle, Sarah says she thinks the Doctor is helping Irongron, and they make a plan to capture him. The Doctor finds Rubish and the other missing scientists before being captured by Lynx himself. Rubish manages to free him, though, and the Doctor makes his escape. He is pursued by Irongron's men, and when he trips and falls, the leader stands over him, ready to strike. When Sarah is first brought to Irongron, at some point, don't remember exactly when in this conversation, I think it's before she starts going like, is this one of those medieval times things that I've heard so much about? It's very realistic. Before she starts doing that he calls her a narrow hipped vixen and that's a hell of an insult if i've ever heard it. <laughs> damn let's bring that one back <laughs> narrow hipped vixen and uh yeah and then she's just kind of wandering around trying to figure out what kind of like tourist trap thing that she's wandered into yeah she's going all like sherlock holmes on it she's like now let's see here a an ancient castle realistically restored and Iron Crown and his men are just kind of like watching her do it. And then Hal is brought in and is almost executed. And Sarah's kind of standing off to the side of just like, I don't think I'm in Kansas anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually did look this up because I was actually curious. Uh, The first two medieval times locations opened up in Spain in the late 60s. I didn't know that. Really? Then they started making locations in 1983, and that's when it kind of became a lot more commercially popular. I'm assuming medieval times doesn't quite hit the same in England as it would in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So who knows? So it's not outside the realm of possibilities that there's that it's that kind of that she would know about that type of attraction. And then uh, Commander Lynx comes in and meets Sarah. And I kind of like how Lynx, throughout this entire story, he has such a almost comedic level of misunderstanding of the human race to such a degree that he actually thinks that Sarah is a different species 
from Irongron because his race is an entirely clone race. So he's unfamiliar with the whole reproductive systems <laughs> of other races. <laughs> and then right after he's uh, done trying to figure out what the hell sex is, uh, Lynx introduces video games to medieval times. He's like, here's your robot. Here's your controller. Go nuts. Wow. We, <laughs> and then they're like, Hey, Hey, you know, remember that guy we're going to execute? Let's do it like this. That's just a robot, which is fine. You know, you you get a new killer robot. You wanna you wanna play with it. <laughs> you wanna kill someone with it. Executing someone by just beheading them is boring. We've done that tons of times. Let's use a robot. <laughs> <laughs> That's so 11th century. Oh, what's what's the line from Sleeping Beauty? Oh, father, you're living in the past. It's the 13th century now. <laughs> something, something like that. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty is a much better film than people remember it being. Anyway, I do love this exchange because Lynx is in his in his secret lab working on trying to fix his ship. And um he had told Irongron earlier that the reason he always wears his helmet around around everyone is because it would become even more obvious that they are not of the same species. And I, I need you to not freak out when I'm working with you. But then Irongron kind of like kicks down the door of the of the lab and sees the the Santarin without his helmet on. <laughs> and they have this exchange, which I which I got a chuckle out of. He says, did I not tell you that you might not find my face pleasing? And Irongron says, aye, and never was a truer word spoken. <laughs> <laughs> you ugly fuck. You ugly motherfucker. I don't have a mother. <laughs> the doctor tries to sneak in, and but Lynx comes back, and uh, the doctor tries to make a deal with Lynx, and he's like, I don't make deals with people I'm about to kill, and then he takes out a gun and fires at the doctor, and I was like, well, doctor's dead, show's over. <laughs> but it turns out, if he had been going full power, then he may have killed him. Wait, is that this episode, or is that the next episode? I'm pretty sure that's this, he... The doctor tries to make a deal with Lynx, and Lynx responds by shooting the doctor twice in this story. Oh, okay. Okay. Because <laughs> I've got at the end of the next episode that he does the exact same thing. It's like, well, the doctor's like, let's make a deal. And, then, and Lynx is like, hmm, I have a better idea. Bam! I don't make deals with dead men. Bang! <laughs> Sarah's kind of all over the place. I get that she's trying to, like justify like trying to rationalize what's going on in front of her in her head but jumping to the conclusion that the doctor is definitely helping iron gron yes because where did you i get did not that? see the doctor with iron gron yeah <laughs> she never saw the doctor with iron gron she saw him in the castle at which point he was like oh miss smith there you are and she ran away and then she just kind of jumped to the conclusion that the doctor is helping iron gron kidnap the scientists i'm like what huh? where did you get that <laughs> here's the other thing i but this is unrelated to the sarah part but is it in this episode when Lynx has got the doctor down and he's got the little headphone things on uh, and the doctor is going on like you can't give these guys guns uh they'll have nuclear bombs by the 17th century before they're before they're mature enough as a species to do yes. it i was like were we ever mature I, enough as a species? I have that exact note written down. <laughs> I have the li- I have the line quoted because he's like, "I'm going to give these people rifles in the middle e- uh, Middle Ages," and uh, 
The Doctor's like, they have the capability to destroy their own planet before they're civilized enough to handle it. And I'm just like, I'd argue we're never at that point, but okay. (laughs) Which leads to my other gripe about this episode story. Lynx is, like, giving them weapons, but they're, like, flintlock rifles. Yeah. Why don't they have laser guns? Lynx is, like, so uncaring about the actual development of the species. Fuck it, give Iron Ground a tank. I think it's because all of the scientists are working on making, on fixing the ship, and Lynx knows that when he takes off, when the ship is finished and he's going to take off, it's going to destroy everyone and everything in the castle. So he doesn't want to waste any actually like valuable equipment by giving them laser guns. He's like, here's a glorified slingshot. Go play. Okay. Follow up question. Why does Lynx have flintlock rifles? I I was under the assumption that like he made them. It's like with the resources we have. He just fucking MacGyvered a flintlock rifle. Yeah, I can't make like a circuit board here in uh in the Middle Ages. I can, however. Make a flintlock rifle. Here you and with my incredible military intelligence, that will take me like five minutes. So he just like gives them a whole bunch of rifles. I do kind of like the headcanon, like the Santerans being a group of people who've just studied every weapon that ever existed on every planet. Yeah, I think he even says something at one point, like he was wanting to watch the humans battle. He wanted to see what their military tactics were like. And he said that um, humans will never, never be, uh, I forget how he put it. It's like, you're not going to be a strong military force if you continue like this. So, like, I I do like the idea that he is just like, okay, let's assess everyone as to how valuable they would be as vanguards in our war if we need it. (laughs) (laughs) Rubish is the only uh, scientist there that isn't under some sort of hypnotic mind control. Because he forgot his glasses back in the 1970s, so, like, the hypnosis thing didn't work because he literally couldn't see it. Which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, Rubish reminds the doctor of of Sarah, and the doctor says, I'll be right back. I need to go find a young woman. And he runs off, and Rubish is like, I thought he was a bit old for that kind of thing. Oh, well. <laughs> I was like, oh, Rubish. Ah, Rubish also thinks it's weird that he travels with exclusively young women. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting worried. I just thought this was normal. And then the episode basically ends with just a wide shot of the courtyard where the doctor is playing tag with all of Iron Gron's men. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what it feels like. Because he's it's literally just him running around the courtyard, just like avoiding everybody and it really just feels like i'm watching someone play tag <laughs> <laughs> so part three part three Hal and company ambush iron Gron and his men and save the doctor back at wessex castle the doctor convinces everyone that he is on their side and wants to stop links and iron Gron. after he helps repel an attack from the bandits the doctor makes a plan to counter strike Iron Gron and Lynx bicker, and iron Gron tells one of his men that he will use Lynx to capture wessex castle and then kill him Sarah and the Doctor disguise themselves as friars to infiltrate Iron Gron's castle, and there the Doctor confronts Lynx. He offers to help the Sontaire fix his ship if Lynx agrees to let the weapons be destroyed in the takeoff blast. Lynx responds in the only logical way by shooting the Doctor. I think this part is the weakest. Yes. Mostly just because a huge chunk of it is the bandits shooting walls 
at the castle. Yeah, because this episode is basically the Doctor convincing Sarah that he's not working for Iron Gron, and also the assault on the castle. But that's kind of it. And then there's also like a big exposition moment of like, oh yeah, I use the TARS to travel through space and time. And I'm like, fuck, we're going to do this every time, aren't we? <laughs> God, can we just like cut to the part after the conversation explain what the TARDIS is? Speaking of doing the same thing every time, this episode like went way far back for its recap. It did. It was really weird. Like it went back like a solid three or four minutes of the last episode. They just didn't have enough footage, I guess. So let's give it up for Rubish a little bit because uh, his he was frustrated that he wasn't able to see anything because he likes he's like squinting and like getting real close to everything to make sure that he's seeing what he thinks he's seeing. Uh, so the dude just makes a corrective lens while blind and also in a medieval castle, like it's just like a opera glasses monocle kind of thing that he just made. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Rubish. <laughs> Rubish should be the companion. I want Rubish to be the <laughs> companion. What the fuck? <laughs> On that note, I was so fucking worried that Hal was going to be a companion. It's funny you say that because that was the original intention. Oh, God. I was so worried. I was like, this fucking discount <laughs> Jamie. Discount Jamie. That, Motherfucker. That's exactly how I thought of him, too. And it's like, you know, Jamie was really popular. We should, we should bring back another, like, vaguely handsome guy from a long time ago maybe that'll maybe that'll get ratings (laughs) (laughs) the doctor at one point describes the santarans like their home planet the gravity is several hundred times that of earth so they've evolved to be much uh shorter and stouter um if you're going to have a race that is entirely short people uh may i recommend uh casting a short person because he is like the same height as all the other full-grown men in, in this cast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love this line because I I, uh, I figured you probably had something to say about it. The doctor is brought back to the lord that Sarah has been working for. I don't remember his name. It does not matter. He is not relevant. And um, he's explaining his whole situation of how he wasn't working with Iron Gron and how the Santaran Lynx is working with Iron Gron. And he says that, uh, yeah, it was, it was a man from the stars. And Sarah says, a man from the stars? And how do I know you're telling me the truth? The doctor says, because I never lie. Well, hardly ever. Bang up, bang up, counter-argument, Doctor. <laughs> it's like, hardly ever is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I hardly ever lie to people I like. <laughs> and even then, it's only, it's only very seldom. And I usually <laughs> have a good reason. <laughs> Yeah, and then this this is the point where Iron Gron was just starting to get on my nerves. I say, I do not care for Iron Gron, but something tells me that Caleb will love him. He's a simple man, after all. He's a simple man. He knows what he He's wants. He's a simple man. Listen. He's got simple needs. Simple needs. And, like, listen, he has drive. The man the man sees something and he gets it. You gotta appreciate that. That's that's the entrepreneurial mindset. That's the American dream. Uh, um, then we go on to having more Cal- more people speaking for Caleb. Um, because uh, the doctor's like planning out the uh, repelling Iron Gron's forces and he's like making these um, these uh, stink bombs. 
And Sarah says, well, why don't you just go somewhere else, somewhere safer? Yeah. <laughs> why don't you do that? You know, you actually don't have to help anyone. I mean, there are all the scientists that are here. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> I think that's his main focus. I mean, he, he gives the bullshit answer of, oh, well, you know, my race, we don't really like it if other people are doing time travel. So I need to stop. I need to nip this in the bud while I can. Yeah, he describes the Time Lords as like ticket police. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I guess. Yeah. They keep calling him a magician that he keeps doing magic. I, I think the doctor just really likes being called magic, and that's his real reason for sticking around. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Please, <laughs> please don't compliment me more. Please, please. The praise is too oh. much. Your <laughs> praise is too much. <laughs> it's not magic at all, but, I mean, just watch this. <laughs> no sonic screwdriver, as far as I remember, though. He did not use a sonic screwdriver. That seems like an obvious, definitely magic thing that he could do, and like... <gasps> The wizard's wand. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) But during this conversation with Sarah, as one of my favorite exchanges, and I will probably use this as the intro to this episode. I'm not sure. He's, you know, talking about all all this uh, time travel stuff and time lords and Santarans and spaceships and stuff. And uh, she says, you're serious, aren't you? And he says, about what I do, yes. Not necessarily the way I do it. And I just just love that line. (laughs) Yeah. That's the doctor. <laughs> That's the doctor. And um, then uh, Iron Gron's forces are like scaling the walls of the castle and the doctor just like throws over some stink bombs over the ramparts and they like explode and like have some flashes and then release some like sulfuric stink clouds and Iron Gron calls for a retreat. And then uh, when they get back to Iron Gron's castle, Iron Gron just shouts at every shouts at all of them he says mice a few loud noises a few bad smells and you scatter like sheep and i'm like asshole you're the one that sounded the retreat and then like almost immediately lynx is like asshole you're the one that sounded the <laughs> retreat <laughs> thank you lynx the voice of reason the voice of reason they should have gone in and killed everyone <laughs> then the doctor comes up with another plan to incapacitate iron gron and to take out links he and sarah both assume like the disguises of monks robes and i'm like man it is a good thing that iron gron's men are stupid as shit otherwise they might have asked to see under the hoods (laughs) and recognize (laughs) the two most wanted people uh and then they get into the castle and take their disguises off for some reason uh, maybe it was itchy i don't know I mean, it looked itchy. But then the doctor confronts Lynx and he's basically like, I'll help you build your spaceship. Like, we'll we'll get you out of here. You just have to destroy all the guns when you go. And my immediate thinking on that was, why should he? Lynx is already accomplishing what he wanted to do. Yeah. Why does he think the, why does the doctor think that he can help? Yeah, I have that exact note. I was like, he wasn't willing to bargain with you before when he actually had need of your help. Why would he agree to it now when he's basically already done? Lynx replies the only logical way, which is like, uh, fuck you? Let me respond to that in the following way. Bang! Bang! But we also talk about Lynx's, like, piddly little laser gun. Yeah. For, for being an advanced war species, they have, like, uh-oh. It's hard to even describe what it is. It looks like a pencil. Yeah, 
I would describe it as a capital T. Yeah. <laughs> well, in his defense, like, they have three very thick sausage fingers. Like, that's how their hands work. So it basically, like, grips onto the T and then presses a button on the top of the on top of the T. And, like, the long part is what shoots out. Like, that's how that's how their gun works. I like that they have an adjusted type of weaponry for the alien biology. I think that's actually kind of cool. That's fine. I just wish the T was bigger. I just wish the T looked cool instead of just <laughs> what appears to be two metal rods welded together. <laughs> I don't know. If I if I was in an advanced warrior race with uh, an army of clones and I was known for my military, military and conquering, I'd have big guns. <laughs> that would be like the focal point and not my big turd head. Again, going back to uh, Link's kind of hilariously not understanding how humans work, he feeds them maybe once a day. He feeds his human prisoners maybe once a day, not out of malice, but because he genuinely doesn't understand that humans need food to survive. Because, like, <laughs> they are worked to exhaustion and they, like, collapse. And Link's is basically just like, hey, kicks him, get up. <laughs> I told you to work. So, like, he doesn't understand the humans to such a degree that he's killing them. And it's kind of funny in a way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's your dinner. And it's just a plate of, like, rocks and, like, a piece of tree bark. <laughs> and the same boot that the Daleks fed Victoria with. <laughs> <laughs> this part ends with... Uh, the doctor getting shot. A repeat of a thing that happened in the last part. <laughs> part four... The doctor's not down, but otherwise unharmed. He distracts Link so that Rubish can attack the alien from behind. Once he is knocked out, the doctor sends the scientists back to the 20th century. Sarah sneaks in the Iron Ground's kitchens and drugs the food. With most of his men knocked out, Iron Ground stumbles into Link's lair as the alien and the doctor fight. Lynx kills him and makes for a ship. But before he can escape, Hal shoots him in the neck with an arrow. In his death throes, Lynx manages to hit the launch button, which will destroy the castle in the takeoff. Everyone manages to escape before the castle blows up, and Sarah and the Doctor wish Hal farewell before dematerializing in the TARDIS. So, yes, it is also established that the Santarans' one weakness is, like, an exhaust vent that they have on the back of their neck. And the Santarans like, that's not a weakness. It means that we must always face our enemies. Which I, I like, I appreciate that. It does, however, make you very susceptible to sneak attacks of, like, a basically blind old man coming up and throwing a rock at you, which is exactly what happens. And he goes down like appropriately a sack of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, really uh, driving home that Ruba should have been a companion because the dude's basically blind and he hits that tiny little point real good. Real good. G fucking get this guy a, a room on the TARDIS. I want him around more. <laughs> It's also important to note that the Doctor's not being subtle about trying to get Rubish to attack him. And it's like, yes, your one weakness is the probic vent, which is about 45 inches up his back. And <laughs> it's like Rubish is about to throw the rock and it's like, no, a little higher than that. There you go. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you had this issue, but then the episode just started glitching on me for some reason. Yeah, mine started glitching real bad. Yeah, like... The subtitles were still going, so you could still understand everything that was happening, but, like, it just kind of, like, started getting very pixely and skipping a little bit. That's not relevant to the actual episode itself, but... 
I wanted to check to make sure it wasn't just me. Yeah, BritBox, look at your scan. Do the scan again. That's critical information we're missing. I will say, relatively speaking, this show has gotten a little bit better in terms of hand-to-hand fight choreography. They have not, however, nailed down sword fight choreography. Not at even all. remotely. <laughs> like even, <laughs> it really does feel like maybe day two of fight calls for this production. They're just like, tink, tink, tink. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I fucking hate the fight sequences in this show so much. And this doctor in particular has had so many of them. Yeah, because he's pretending to be the robot and he's he's fighting them off. But then it's revealed, oh, it's actually the doctor. And so he tries to escape, but then he's captured by Irongron's men and like brought to Irongron and Irongron like brings up his sword to execute the doctor and he says, no, the sword is too quick and clean a death for you. And... I just sighed when he said that. I was like, just... Like, I get it. I understand what you're doing from a writing perspective, but... Just kill him. Just do it. Just kill him. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this Bond villain bullshit. I'm I'm just like, I could shoot you in the head right now. I'd rather strap you down and have a very slow moving laser move towards you. Like, come on. (laughs) What he's actually doing is like, he gives all of his men a rifle and he's using the doctor for target practice. But like, just kill him. (laughs) (laughs) practice on some squirrels you found outside i don't care sarah is hiding down in the kitchens because she's going to poison the food with with a sleep potion i can't think of a better way to way to put that but she's like angry at how all the women are doing all the menial work and she like goes on this like feminist tirade and then she says you're all still living in the middle ages and then she just kind of has a moment of Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Sarah. Come on. The doctor proves to be a trapeze artist, which I kind of love. I just kind of love this little scene because he's dodging all the gunfire because it's still rifle. It's still like flintlock rifles. The aim is shit. But uh, Sarah manages to escape from the from the kitchen and then like cuts loose this chandelier. So it like swings towards the doctor and then he grabs he grabs it and then like <laughs> and then like Spider-Man swings towards Iron Gron's men and then just runs out of the room. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> Hell yeah, Doctor. And then he like locks the door behind him so most of Iron Gron's Iron Gron's men are like locked in that in that uh throne room and they manage to Doctor and Sarah manage to run out and uh encounter the guards at the very beginning and uh he just kind of like saunters up to them and like indicates with his index finger to like for both of them to come over and he just like shows them his open palms his other side of his hands and then he clenches his fist and just like knocks both of them out at the same time and that's some bugs bunny shit (laughs) i kind of appreciated it (laughs) i also make the note of blood axe is so gay for iron gron it's almost sad i feel like i'm skipping over a lot here but there was a long while where it was just showing all of Iron Gron's men just kind of like falling asleep because of the poison. Yeah. And just like not a whole lot being said there. But Iron Gron does eventually wake up and he immediately thinks that Lynx is behind this and he goes to confront Lynx. 
And I do appreciate how Iron Gron goes to kill Link. And he's just like shouting with his axe and yelling at him. And Link's just bang. Kills, bang. <laughs> kills him in one shot. <laughs> Iron Gron goes down. I, I kind of really appreciated just like with all of his bloodthirsty bluster that he's had over the course of this story he just goes down like a bitch <laughs> <laughs> no like i it is a little anticlimactic but i do kind of love it i do kind of love how he's just terminated yeah <laughs> and then okay so i don't hal was kind of like a non-character this whole story but the fact that links gets into his ship and is starting to take off and hal manages to fire an arrow as the door is closing and the arrow perfectly hits links in the in the exhaust port and kills him in one shot i'm like fucking bring hawkeye on for at least a couple of adventures i think he deserves that much after <laughs> after a shot like that god damn <laughs> Like, he's boring as shit, but that was fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could get more cool action moments, but no, I don't want him as a companion. Rubish as a companion, Rubish, though. yes, absolutely have Rubish. I want to see Rubish pull off that shot. <laughs> <laughs> he probably could, though. Like, he managed to make the corrective lens in medieval, this medieval castle. Like, Doctor, look, with some stones and flint that I was able to find, I was able to create this high-power sniper rifle. <laughs> <laughs> They escape from the castle, and I don't want to get too picky here, but it feels like they could have, like, blown up a model or something to show the the castle exploding. What it looks like was just, like, a very short clip of, like, stock footage of, like, a quarry kind of being blown up. And, like, mm-hmm. that's clearly not the cat. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Could have done a little bit more. You could you could have built the model. We've done it before. We We've definitely done it before. And then uh, the Doctor and Sarah are like, wow, that was a thing. Bye. <laughs> Later. They have successfully rescued. Yeah, that's kind of something we just kind of glossed over. They did manage to send the scientist back using Lynx's thingy. Thingy. The thing that he used to pull them into the Middle Ages, He they used to send back to the 70s. So, but yeah, I feel like I, yeah. I feel like I did a lot of talking and I'm sorry if I if I stepped on your toes at all. No, no, not really. You take better notes than I do. I was like, yeah, it was fine. And then you say something like, oh, yeah, that did happen. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, uh, I think story is fine. It kind of ends suddenly. Like, there's no real resolution other than mission accomplished. Yeah. But like, we don't even get back to unit to find out like, oh, hey, the scientists did make it back. Yeah. They they do have like a thing where Hal calls uh, the doctor a magician. And he's like, oh, I'm no magician, Hal. And they both go into the TARDIS, and then the TARDIS disappears in front of Hal. <laughs> it's a real good case you got there of not being a magician. Trivia? Lay it on me. All right. You're going to love this. Barry Letts, the producer, wanted Bob Hoskins to play Iron Gron. Who's Bob Hoskins again? Uh, he played Mario in the Mario movie. Uh, he also played Eddie in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm looking at him now. Yeah, okay. I, he, I agree with that. And he, <laughs> he played he played Smee in Hook. Bob Hoskins is a national treasure. He's too good for this, though. <laughs> no, I agree. Bob Hoskins should have been Iron Grunt. <laughs> I mean, he absolutely should have been. He would have been great because he's Bob Hoskins, but he's too good for this. <laughs> <laughs> Gallifrey was originally referred to as Galfrey in the scripts, but I guess it was like 
it was mispronounced, I guess. So they just kind of rolled with Gallifrey. The script originally had a full-on like battle with knights in armor, uh, but they realized that that would be way over budget. So it was replaced by the scene with the Doctor and the Stink Bombs. Kevin Lindsay, the actor who played Lynx, uh, found the costume very difficult to breathe in. Shocker. At one point, he collapsed under the weight of the mask and helmet. Shocker. It straight up looks like 30 pounds of rubber. Kevin Lindsay insisted on pronouncing his race Santarin, even though Robert Holmes intended it to be uh, pronounced Santarin. And when the director tried to correct him, Lindsay said, well, I think it's Santarin. And since I'm from the goddamn place, I should know. And the director was just like, fuck it. <laughs> so he just like kept fucking like, actors. Fucking I swear actors. to God. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most fucking actor thing I've ever heard. My that makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, the reason they're called Santarans is because one actor got high in his own supply and just, <laughs> just. God damn it! I fucking hate actors, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, final thoughts. It was it was fine. It was yeah, all right. Yeah, it was fine. It was it was a it was a fun little romp. Nothing particularly special. I think. If you're wanting to watch Classic Who and you're like a Doctor Who fan and you want to see Sarah Jane's first episode, yeah, go ahead and watch it. Otherwise, you, you can yeah. you can skip it. It's fine. It's not. It's not essential. <laughs> yeah, Sarah's Sarah certainly had an interesting introduction. This definitely isn't the first time we've had like a stowaway. Like we've had Dodo, we've had Zoe, we've had Stephen, but um, I think this is the first time since Stephen that we've had someone who's just like against the idea that they traveled through time yeah but it kind of made her seem like a little bit of a like a little bit of a know-it-all Mm-hmm. very much a know-it-all not a great not a great introduction if i'm gonna be honest <laughs> <laughs> but uh we shall see we shall see if she gets better i suppose i did like Lynx as a villain he seemed just very just <sighs> i gotta fucking deal with these people yeah <laughs> which i i did appreciate but uh, the other half of the of the villain team, Iron Gron, was he definitely wore out his welcome by the end. I know you hated the Santarans because they're the ugliest motherfuckers around, but disgusting, horrid. I don't know. They're not quite as bad as the aliens in Paladon. <laughs> oh, but the uh, the skull monster, the skull things. monster. Yeah, uh, what was his name? Yeah. Uh, Arcturus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! Fucking nightmare inducing. <laughs> <laughs> so like. Battle armor and rounded brownish bald head. That is consistently the Santaran look. Throughout Classic, anytime they make appearances, it's like they use completely different masks every single time and they look weird. They look really off. You are you will continue to hate Santarans. I'm just saying <laughs> that right now. <laughs> Alright. I am prepared for it. It's within my MO at this point to consistently hate the aliens. So <laughs> Even the ones that look humanish. <laughs> Sometimes, especially the ones that look humanish. Those are the <laughs> ones I hate. Because it's just like, then just be human. You don't don't have them look and sound exactly like humans. Fucking get creative <laughs> with it. Space Museum had those guys who looked exactly like humans, except that their eyebrows were really big, and I was like, that that's fucking lazy. <laughs> but at least it was something. It's not like, say yeah. for example, Time Lords. <laughs> who are just people (laughs) well that's it for this episode guys thanks for listening if you want to support us the best thing you can do is give us five stars and tell your friends about us 
You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, all the major podcast things. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at Quick Trip Podcast. You can also check out Mac's YouTube channel, Mac the Mac, where he does insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time in which we watch one of the more widely ridiculed episodes of this era in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Oh, God. <laughs> tempted to do this very crazy thing where i'm like i'm kind of tempted to read every single stephen king book in publication order now question are you going to read uh, like are you going to do an instance where like you read the original print of the book and then when he does the re-release that's three times larger than the original size one you're going to read it again or are you he, just going to read that that second he version? has only done that like Four or five times. The fact that you think that's a normal amount for an author to do. <laughs> um, I plan on reading the original, so okay. or whatever whatever copy I can get a hold of. So, but I'm only reading the books once. I'm also allowing myself to DNF them. So if I'm reading it, I'm like, I don't like this one. I'm just gonna move on to the next one. So what does uh oh did not finish DNF do not finish yeah okay yeah yeah that's. That's a lesson I had to learn about video games. Like, I have to be willing to just not finish it. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, otherwise I'm not going to fucking do this. I'm, there's no way I'm going to get through it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I think there's somewhere online where you can make the Stephen King bingo cards. Uh, where it's just like, and have a new one for each each book to see which ones you can get bingo on like oh that would be fun <laughs> uh set in maine uh main character is an author main character is an alcoholic main character is an alcoholic author um inexplicable uh child with psychic powers and suddenly aliens terribly written women, terribly written women extensive descriptions of boobs um <laughs> yeah descriptions of nipples that happens a lot a lot for some reason Oh, uh, when I read The Shining, like, there were, like, three instances of him describing, like, the wife's nipples being hard for some reason. And I was like, why? Why is this here, why, Steven? Why, why are you focusing on that? God, like, I know you're in your coke era, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> He's better now. I'm not going to say he writes women well now, but it is not as bad as it has been. 2020 King and 1970s King are not the same person. <laughs> Okay. Uh, shall we? Shall we go ahead and get started? Yeah. Speaking of <laughs> inconsistent. <laughs> speaking of inconsistent shit that came from the seventies, let's watch Doctor Who. <laughs>